Well, friends, my name is Greg Brooks, and if we have not met, you've now met me. I would love to get to know you. I have the privilege of being uh, on the team here at Outpost Community Church, and I'm very thankful for the privilege that I have. It is a gift from God. I've got a couple uh, things I wanted to just kind of update you guys on. Every week, we're going to try to have a little bit more of a pastoral comment about things that are happening. I can tell you one thing is that this summer's got a lot of exciting things heading our way that I'm super pumped about. Um, but one thing that we're excited about is we created a new page on our website, okay? And this page is uh, it's resources for community, okay? So if you go to outpostcommunity.org slash community, every month there's going to be a new resource added on there to help you guys get better at being in community with one another. The first video that was added on there is why membership matters, and we kind of spend 12 minutes walking through that. We answer a lot of questions that we get all the time. Like, is it a sin to not be a member? We answer that question. The answer, just a sneak peek, is no. Um, that's not a sin. Um, member of a local church. But we just talked to you about why it matters and why it matters to us and why we think it should matter to you. Um, so that's really important. Another pastoral uh, comment, I feel like it's probably the most important thing we say today, is Sage Ellsbury is turning 16 today. Where, where's she at? Where'd she go? She was like, oh, I wanted, I wanted you to be surprised it was my birthday. And I said, cool, hope you're surprised that I'm calling it out in front of everybody, Sage. You can hide under that journal, but we still see you. Happy birthday, Sage. Um, well, guys, let's jump right in. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can go there. If you're using an app, you can go there. All right. And before we begin, I want to do an Ephesians 1.17 type prayer, which I try to do often, which is praying that God would do what only he could do to open our our minds, our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to receive from him what only he can do and give to us. Okay, guys, because it doesn't matter how gifted the teacher is, if we do not have God as a part of it, man, it's just meaningless. It's just a bunch of babble. All right? And am I right? And guys, my initials are G-A-B, Gab, and I have the gift, but it doesn't mean it's always possessed by the Lord. So let's, let's pray, okay? Well, Jesus, I'm so thankful for this passage we're going to jump into. It is making me love you. And there's just no way I can teach the depths. There's no way I can help every heart in this room understand it. I myself am still struggling to understand it. But God, you are kind to us and you love us. Everything in Colossians 1 and Colossians 2 just reminds us, Jesus, you love us. That your love didn't stop when you rose from the grave. You still are loving us. And you love our children, you love our friends, you love our neighbors, every hair on our head is counted. Some of us, it's easier to count for you than others. But Lord, you love us. And so I just pray this morning, Jesus, do what you can do. We pray Ephesians 1.17 that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to understand and to know the way that we should walk. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let me adjust this a little bit. Well, we're going to go straight into it, okay? Sometimes they say that you should have an opener for a message today. The best opener I can give you is open your Bible. So let's read this, verse 1, all right? We're not going to make it farther than verse 1 for the first point. And the first point in, in this whole uh, message, and there's going to be six, is in Jesus, we seek Jesus. If you're in Jesus, you seek Jesus. And the rest of the points that we're going to be going through 
uh, he, he, Paul's going to do something that's really unique. It's, it's, a, it's a literary thing that he does where he's going to go A, B, C, D, CBA. So he's going to address something in the beginning that he's going to also say right at the end. He's going to address something second that he's going to say second to the end. He's going to address something third, he's going to say third to the end. And right in the middle, he's going to tell you something that you need to hear. Okay? So the first thing is this, in Jesus, seek Jesus. Let's read what it says. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. All right, so Paul is starting chapter 3 with an if-then statement. If this, then this. And this statement is really simple, guys. It's if you've received Jesus into your life and you've experienced all that we've talked about, all the spiritual realities of being uh, and belonging to Jesus, that your life is tied to his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, he says, then keep seeking Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means that being saved is not the end of the Christian journey. It's not the end of the Christian life that we, a lot of us, have stepped into. Really, it's just the beginning. And if you've stepped into the beginning, then you need to not just at the beginning seek Jesus, you need to keep seeking Jesus, which leads me to a question. Well, where is he? Like, where's that bro at? Like, where's Jesus? Where do we seek him? Well, he answers. He says uh, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. This does a lot for us. Understanding that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. The first thing it does is it reminds us that Jesus is sitting down because he's got no more work to do. He's done. So everything that you believed and trusted in that saved you, know that it is done. And he doesn't need to do anything else to justify you before God. The redemption of our souls and the forgiveness of our sin, it is finished. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank God for that. So why do we need to keep seeking him then, Greg? Well, I'm so glad you guys asked. Okay, why do we keep seeking Jesus? Well, here's the first thing I want to say to you. If you don't want more of Jesus, then you probably don't even know who Jesus is. Think about that, and let me say it again. If you don't want more Jesus, after all that you know that he did for you, then you probably don't really know who Jesus is. The second reason why we need to keep seeking Jesus is because the work is not done. Now, let me clarify what that means. The justification, which means you are justified before God because of Jesus, that's done. You're justified. You don't have to do anything else to be justified before God. Positionally, you are sanctified, which means you've been set apart. But there's still work to do. Anybody in this room sinless? Anybody want to raise their hand? Okay, nobody's feeling courage, okay? Anybody in here handling every single one of life's curveballs exactly the way that Jesus would want you to handle it? Anybody? Notice that my hands are down. I should put my hands on the ground. I am not perfect. I am not done. The work is not done. There are still things that need to be done, things that we need to step in, things that we need to grow in. So that's why, number one, we keep seeking Jesus. If you're in Jesus, you keep seeking him, okay? And Jesus gave us two things to help us with that. Number one, he gave us an example, which is himself and his word. Anybody got a Bible in their laps? Anybody got one of these? Raise it up. These things are amazing. Okay, awesome. I don't care what version you got. They're great. Okay, well, I wouldn't say that, actually. Okay, there's some that are better than others. All right. 
But he also gave us the Spirit of God to dwell within us to help us do this. Now, so the next question I want to ask you guys and ask us all and ask Paul is, where do we begin? Where do we start this thing out? Let's go to verse 2. And this is the second point. You're going to see this thing repeated later on. It begins with a Christian mindset. It begins with a Christian mindset. Let's read Colossians 3, verse 2. It says this. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What an amazing couple verses. Here's the thing I want you to understand. In the New Testament, the New Testament writers were deeply aware how powerful your eyes and brain are. Very deeply, had a deep understanding of that. When you put your mind on something, when you set your eyes, the gates to your brain, when you set them on something, they knew that it had a tremendous impact on your heart. It changed you. Jesus even says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You ever heard of that? And treasure is just kind of a broad analogy to describe where you set your eyes and where you set your mind on a regular basis. He says, when you do that, it's going to have an impact on your heart. Paul does this and goes a little bit deeper in Romans chapter 8. Flip over to Romans 8. It's going to be to your left in your Bible. Go over to Romans 8. I want you to read this. Or click the back button, scroll up, click Romans, go to 8. We're going to be at verse 5. This is what he says. For those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, what does he say? What do they set their minds on? On the Spirit, right? For to set the mind on the flesh equals, is, equals death. But to set the mind on the Spirit equals peace and life. Anybody in here want to live? Anybody in here want some peace? The equation is simple. You set your minds on that. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It can't. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right. What has Paul done for the church? In Romans chapter 8 and in Colossians chapter 3, what's Paul doing for us, guys? What he's doing is, He's giving us a starting line. He's giving us a starting line on the track. Now, of course, to even be on the track and to be at the starting line, you got to belong to Jesus. you got to be saved. But does anybody just want to be on the line? No. You want to run, right? Anybody want to run the race? Track season's coming to a close. Guys, you want to run, right? I don't want to sit and watch other people run. You know how miserable that is? I want to run. Does anybody ever want to run a race to lose? Anybody? If you are, you and me are not the same, and I would love to run against you. (laughs) You want to run to win. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying, hey, he's giving us a really good trajectory on how to run well. How do we run well? We run well by setting our minds on Jesus. Listen to this. It's by setting your mind and getting your mindset on Jesus. 
To start the race well, you have to set your mind on the right target, on the spiritual things, the things that are above, on Jesus who's seated at the right hand of the Father to set them on him. Because guys, listen to me. If you're a Christian, your journey in this world is different than the journey of the world. You run a completely different race. You wear a different jersey. You're on a different team. A few months ago, uh, my wife and I watched the movie League of Their Own. Anybody ever see that? It's kind of hilarious. It's just basically about women playing baseball. It's World War II. Men are gone. They're playing, right? Well, they have these big tryouts, and there's like hundreds of girls who are all together, and they're seated. Well, at the end of the tryouts, they pick these girls, and they put their names up on a list. Remember that? People used to be way tougher back then, right? You can't tell people that way anymore. And so they have all the names of all these teams up on this board, and there's a girl still standing there. Everybody's, these coaches are talking to the team. There's a girl still standing there, and she's sitting there, she's wringing her hat. She's going side to side because she can't find her name. But she can't find her name because she can't read. She can't read, so she's sitting there, she's shifting. The coach starts kind of yelling at her, hey, sweetheart, if you're not on the list, you got to go home. you got to go home. Well, finally, a, another girl gets up, right, runs over to her and says, hey, sweetie, can you read? She said, no. So, well, tell me what your name is. She tells her name. She goes through the list. Hey, you're on my team. Guys, that's what Jesus is saying when he says your life is hidden with Christ. Your name is written on the list. Some of you can't read very well, and you need somebody to come and tell you that because of what Jesus did, not because of your performance on the field, because of what Jesus did, he's saying, I got your name. I got your jersey. You're on my team. Your life is hidden with me. Y'all feel that? Man, that makes me want to cry. I feel vulnerable by that because I couldn't read very well. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. You wear a different jersey. You belong to a different world. You belong to the spiritual world, guys, so stop living in the world. And so we look forward to the day that Jesus is going to return. You know what Jesus says in John 14, 1 through 4? He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Anybody feeling a little bit troubled in here? Anybody? Me? A lot that troubles me about this world and my life. Well, Jesus says, hey, believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Would I say that to you? Would Jesus lie to us? Then if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to, to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know where I'm going. Listen, Jesus wants to be with you. Friends, you hear that? Let me encourage you. Jesus doesn't want to just save you. He doesn't want to just put your name on a list. He wants to be with you. He wants to be on the same team with you. Isn't that crazy? So how do we get there? How do we get to Jesus? Well, Thomas was confused. We know that the way to move towards Jesus, the way to run this race well, is to set our minds on Jesus. Develop a Christian mindset. All right? But the mindset cannot end in the first 100 meters, guys. And it doesn't end in the first mile. You keep this mindset mile after mile after mile after mile until you have no more miles to run and you get to be with Jesus. We keep this mindset. So as we go through the rest of the scripture, I need you to hear this. You will not understand anything I'm about to say if you do not have a Christian mindset. You might intellectually get it, but your heart won't. And everything we're about to talk about is either going to come across as really discouraging or it's going to be forced and fake. You hear me? And I'm going to show you why. 
okay? Because the next thing that Paul is going to talk about is a putting away of sin. Let's read this. Verse 5. Point 3. A putting away, a putting off of, a taking off of sin. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk with your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay? So I got my friend Isaac up here. What this is saying, the language in here, really in the Greek, is an idea of a putting off, which is really, truly a taking off of something, okay? Like clothing, okay? And so, uh, sorry, the shirt's really tiny and you're really muscly, so I'm making him feel super awkward, okay? But it's kind of like this. In your lives, guys, if you can see this, it says idolatry, okay? And in, and in Isaac's life, and the truth is, I could have got any of you to be in this spot. Every one of you could wear these shirts, and we have idolatry we have to address in our life. And he's saying that we need to take it off. So you can take that one off. But underneath that, there's other things, right? You have to pull your shirt down a little bit. Sexual morality. And beneath that, we've got more things. And he says, Paul says to take it off, to get rid of it, right? And then there's like these heart postures that we have of anger and rage, gossip, things that are growing in us that are happening that we're doing. And Paul says to take them off, to take it off. But at the bottom of all of it, really what we have, and we saw this in Colossians chapter 1 at the, uh, at the end of that amazing hymn that we talked about, that really what we have is hostility towards God. We're hostile towards God. This hostility has to do with a lot with our pride. We don't trust him. We don't think that he's good. And Paul's saying to take this stuff off and to get rid of it, to take this stuff off, get rid of it like it's clothes. Thanks, Isaac. I'll come back in a minute. And so he's telling us to take it off. That's kind of the image, guys is a putting off, a taking off of those sins, those garments. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand. I want to address some tension in the room, okay? Here's the tension. When Christianity becomes really religious, the focus will be only on taking off the shirts. Stop doing this. Don't be caught doing that. For the love of everything that's good, please don't do this. When it becomes really religious, it can become really discouraging because if the focus is only on taking off the shirts, the problem is, guys, anybody in this room, you felt this. It's really discouraging when it's all about just stopping doing something because you take it off and there's always another one. You take it off and there's always another one. Then you take it off and you go, the one that you took off is still back on. How did this happen? Anybody ever been there? And you feel like, I just can't seem to take ground. And it's extremely discouraging. And that's what happens when you don't have a Christian mindset. When you don't have a Christian mindset, what Paul is telling you here is only going to be discouraging. You're going to think, man, see, it's all just about being a better, not doing this and not doing that. I, uh. But when my eyes are fixed on the gracious one, not only is taking it off not discouraging, it's freeing. We have a ministry here at Outpost that's going to be officially launching in the fall. It's called Regeneration. I'm in step six right now of Regeneration. It's been amazing. Well, in step four, there's something that's called inventory or sin inventory, all right? And in this step, you take several weeks 
to take inventory of six different uh, categories in your life. Let me read those six categories. Resentments, fears that you have, harms done to me, harms done by me, sexual inventory, and recovery inventory. Friends, when I finished this part of my regen journey, I got to be honest, I saw a lot of Colossians chapter 3, 5 through 10 in my life. I, was, I, I saw the words, you don't just write it down, you answer questions about all of it. And I saw the words a lot, selfish, slanderous, idolatrous, angry, foul-mouthed, practicing sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. I pulled these words from my inventory. This is me too. You hear me saying this? Now, I think some of you in this room go, man, I am not doing that. I ain't doing no inventory. It throws you off a little bit. Just the thought of looking at all the sins that have happened to you, all the sins that you've done, seeing them all written out, you go, man, that would be so discouraging. And you're right if it was step one. But in region, wisely, it's step four. And before that are three steps. Admit, believe, and trust. Admit, believe, and trust. And those three steps are there to help you develop a gospel-centered, Christ-centered mindset so that when you approach those things, you approach them the way that Jesus would want you to approach them, without fear. You guys hear that? And so every one of us, we've got these shirts, but it's important right now that we stop and we address that fact. Because some of you in the room, you think you're the only one who's got shirts, got things, got sin that need to be put off. And I want to tell you, Paul wants to pause and tell everyone in the room something. Look at verse 11. He wants to tell us, guys, this applies to everyone. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Paul just basically calls out every single type of person in Colossae. They got Jews. They got Greeks. They got circumcised and uncircumcised. They got barbarians. They got Scythians. Scythians were like, I don't know, think of one, like your rival, like Pal people, okay? They're like, man, nothing good comes from Pal, right? Scythians were these guys, like they really thought like Scythians were just horrible people. And if you look historically, they're terrible people. Slave free, but he says, if Christ is in all, Christ is all, and if they've accepted Jesus, he's in them, even if they're Scythian, even if they're from Pal, the grace of God. So everyone who's in Christ has work to do in the area of putting off. We all, every single one of you, you come into this room and you've got baggage. You've got t-shirts. You've got things. You've got sin that you're carrying. And I say this often. Churches get it wrong and this is why it's discouraging and this is the reason why my generation is leaving the church so fast and the one after me at record pace is because it's only focused on this. What's in the bag? And it's guilt and shame but Paul's telling me right here, every one of us has got it. Every single one of us, we're all there. So what should, do, what should this do for us? What are the implications of this? Well, number one, it means you should probably dress yourself with humility. And I'm going to tell you right now, everybody looks good in humility. My wife comes out and she goes, hey, does this look good, right? You coming out in humility, everybody looks good. So number one, it should give us humility. The second thing it should do is it should encourage you. I know that's weird, but it encourages me to know that every one of you are sinners, you know why that encourages me? Because the third thing is this. I know that I'm not in this alone, if it even pops back up. You know what? Stuff happens. We're not in this alone. You know that, guys? 
Whoever's sitting next to you right now, they're a sinner. You're not in this alone. We all get to do this together. Now, all of us have some stuff to do when it comes to putting off and taking those things off, but we've also got some stuff to put on. Anybody want to read about that? Let's keep going. It's time to put stuff on. What does he say? Verse 12, look at this. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Man, what does it do for your soul to know that God picked you to be on his team? Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So earlier we talked about taking off these, taking off shirts. Now you can take this one and put it back on. No, you can keep that. Put this one on over But there's this idea of a putting on, okay? And I'm only doing one shirt, one because of time, but two because it's kind of right. At the center of this is love. And he says that all of us were called to put on love. He says, what is the, what's the greatest thing? What's the thing that binds it all together? What's the thing that brings harmony to all these things? It's, it's love. And when you've got love, you're going to have a holiness. You're going to have forgiveness. You're going to have humility and patience. You're going to have compassion. You're going to have uh, kindness towards one another, you can have kindness. Toward, that's what love does, man. Love is powerful. Man, it's incredibly powerful. It binds everything together. And he is telling us we need to put this on. Thanks, Isaac. We need to put this on. But here's the thing. How do we put on love? Well, what was point two? Somebody tell me. Please tell me you're listening. To have what? Yeah, yeah, to have Jesus but to have a Christian mindset, to have your mind on Christ, to set your things on the things that are above. Another was to get love into your heart. What do you need to do constantly every mile of the journey, guys? What do you got to do? You got to look at the one who loves, whose love is greater than all loves, whose humility was greater than all humility, whose kindness is just so, so amazing. You look at him. You look at him. Because, guys, without Christ-mindedness, a putting away of sin will only be discouraging. But also, without Christ-mindedness, a putting on of righteousness will only be fake or forced. Anybody agree? You ever gone to a place, and you're like, man, these guys just feel fake. They're acting kind. They're acting nice. But I think there's something there. There's something not right about it. Maybe that's you. I know I've done that when I'm in a room with people who are all, they look put together. And so I'm like, oh, geez, I forgot to shave my neck. Like, I just look horrible. And I feel this pressure to want to look right on the outside, even though on the inside, I'm not letting Jesus do his work. This is not about being fake or forced. It's something that God is going to do in us, and it has to be from a Christ-centered mindset. Guys, listen to me. The moment that you begin to take your eyes off of Jesus... And to begin to, through this selfishness, look at other people to see how they're going to respond to you and your righteousness, you're not following Jesus anymore. Do you understand? If you're living for the approval of your golf buddies, you're not living for Jesus. So your life is not going to head towards what God wants to give you, which is life and peace. If it's about your business partners, it's about your classmates, it's about your teachers, if it's about your spouse, and it's like, what do they think of me? Do I, does the outside look really good? You're fake. And you're forcing it. 
And nobody wants to follow Jesus because that's what you're doing. You don't look like you're following Jesus because you're not. But there's so much life and peace when we get our minds on Jesus and go, man, I got all the approval in him. I've been justified. I've been sanctified. I've been adopted. He is holding me. And before God, when I stand before him in glory, I know that even though I have nothing to give, nothing to bring to the table, he's going to go, this one is mine because he or she trusted in me. And so when we look at other people and we're worried about what they think, what we're doing is we're walking into a room full of kittens and wetting ourselves. We're afraid of what they think when really Jesus is a lion. And we treat him like a little kitty. Oh, thank you for saving me. Here's $10. It's disgusting. It's just, it's, it's disgustingly in me. Okay? Now, here's the thing we've got to understand. Does this mean that we don't have work to do? This putting on, looking to Jesus, we've got a lot of work to do. There's so many things that we have to do, but we've got to realize that Christ loves us. And this leads us to the next thing, and this is probably the hardest thing to understand, and some of you are going to completely miss this. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to read through this is that you have to understand, remember what I said, he's going to start with, uh, in Jesus, seek Jesus. He's going to end with, this is all for Jesus. The second thing he said was to put on a Christ mindset. Now it's going to be an understanding of the passive activity of following Jesus, okay? Passive activity of following Jesus. How do we do this is basically what we need to know. Anybody want to know? How do I put off, how do I put on all these things? I've been trying it for a long time, Greg, and I can't seem to do it. How do we do this? Right here, verse 15. Look at it with me, he says. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Okay, verse 15. In the original language, it says it kind of like this, and I think it just sounds way cooler. It says, let rule the peace. Let rule the peace. It's an imperative statement that is a right here, right now action. But for us, our action is passive. We aren't really doing anything. Instead, we're giving permission for somebody else to do something in us. Well, in our previous series, two series ago, we went through something called patterns for renewal, okay? We talked about the spiritual disciplines. And in that, we had an image that I showed you guys. Hopefully, you'll be able to see this. Um, but at the image, your life is based, uh, made up of a soul, a mind, right? And, and, and at the center of who you are is your heart spirit. This is where you make all the decisions. And we said at the center of who you are and the heart and decisions, there's like a little throne there. Can you see that? If you can't, that's a throne, all right? That's what that is. And there's a throne at the center of your hearts. Every one of you have been given this unique spiritual gift of being able to make decisions, autonomy, so there's a throne in there. And somebody has to sit on that throne. Somebody has to sit on that throne. Either you, the opinions of others, or somebody else can rule on that throne, and it's God. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named David. Many of you guys have heard of David. David is known by a lot of things, but primarily he's known as the king. He's King David. And, 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 and he's widely agreed to be the greatest king that Israel ever had, all right, outside of Jesus. But the thing that I think the thing that was the greatest about David was not his accolades in battle. It wasn't his policy decisions. And it wasn't his ability to write and sing songs. You know what the greatest thing about David was? The greatest thing about David is what God says of him, that he is a man after my own heart. For David, 
though he was a sinner and had faults. David, God sat and ruled on his heart. And at the end of David's life, in 2 Samuel 22, verses 31 and 32, David sings one final song, which is what you do. You know, you're dying, you just sing about it. He sings this song. Listen to what he sings. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except for our God? Who is God but the Lord? Who is God except for the king is what the king is saying. Greatest king understood something. I think, church, we need to grow to understand. Let me tell you, you can grow to understand this. You can And it's this, that what marks the hearts of God's people is that our hearts are ruled by God. He's king. He's in control. And the work in the Christian life is, for the most part, a passive activity. It's primarily a surrendering of the throne of your heart to somebody else. Look at verse 16. He says it again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, the language basically says, let dwell the word. Let rule the peace. Do you feel it? Let it happen. That's what he's saying. As human beings, this is so critical. This is so critical. Why? Because we are a legalistic group of people. We, you wake up with a default mindset every morning. Every single morning you get up, you think about, what do I got to do and how am I going to be rewarded for it? And in religion, this gets really nasty. It turns into legalism or paganism is what that is. I will do these things, therefore you are going to give me these things. In America, we call that something else. What do we call that? Capitalism. You work hard. You self-create. You be motivated. You get after it, and then you will be rewarded. Is it always that way, though? No, that's what that baby was trying to say. No, it's not. It's not that way. And so guys, listen to this. Listen to me. Satan has you swimming in an ocean of legalism that you have to do and you will be rewarded. But the sentiment in Colossians chapter 3 is not do, it's let. Let God do what only God can do as the ruler of your heart. This is the passive activity of following Jesus. Now, let me read somebody's mail in this room because I know somebody in here is thinking, wait a second, are you saying we're not supposed to do anything? That sounds dumb. No, that's not what I'm saying. But the transformation, guys, listen to this, so important. If you don't get this, you won't get the transformation. The transformation that you desperately want to happen in your life cannot happen and won't happen until you let God do it. Let me illustrate with a question. How do farmers grow a plant? Somebody tell me. How do they grow a plant? They plant seeds. What, what else? They water it. Okay. Some mumbling. I don't know what that is. Yes. Hey, confidence, y'all. It's going to be all right. Hey, let me tell you. Here's the answer. They don't. Farmers have, in the history of humanity, no farmer has ever grown a plant. Farmers plant seeds, they uh, make rows, they water those things, they don't grow them. Never in the history of humanity has a farmer ever grown a plant. 
And the same thing is what Paul is saying. He's saying, let dwell the word of Christ in you richly. And what he's saying is, let the word of Christ, which is sometimes synonymous for a seed, let it go into your mind and down into your heart. Let it dwell there and bide there. Meditate on it like the soil meditates and holds onto a seed. Pray over the word in your heart like the spring rains. And then let God bring the growth. Your Bible doesn't say that you grow. There's a lot of farmers who planted a lot of seeds and did a lot of watering and didn't grow anything. You know that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul gets it and he says it explicitly. He says it like this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. He says this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the growth. What it was true for Paul and Apollos is exactly the same for you in your own life. Unless God grows and changes you, you will not change. Now, there must be an effort on your part, but every single effort you, st- you guys take in your faith to get in God's word, to meditate, to pray, to fast, to Sabbath, to, do, to, to be in community with other people, all of that is just a posturing and a prepping of your heart for God to do only what he can do. You hear that? It's a prepping of the soil. It's planting of some seeds. It's throwing water on there. Now, God can bring a hundredfold to one seed, but what happens if he brings a hundredfold or thirtyfold to thousands of seeds that you've just taken in to posture your heart in a way that God could do some amazing work in you? Do you understand? Are you seeing what I'm saying? I'm, that's why I prayed Ephesians 1, because if you don't get this, you're just going to keep being discouraged and fake. Because you're going to think it's reliant on you to get into these Bible studies, to go on a mission trip, to serve, to give, to be good, to donate, to give blood, to help the old ladies across the street. But listen, friends, these are all good. And Jesus wants these things to be a part of your life. He just doesn't want you to rely on your ability to do them. He wants you to rely on his ability to change you through them. Do you get that, you religious people? Do you understand? You came to church today. Good for you. It's seeds and water. It's getting the soil ready. But if you don't open your hands, guys, teenagers, if you don't open your hands and you don't open your heart and say, all right, God, now you've got to do your thing, you're going to be fighting against the growth that God wants to bring. Okay? Because at the end of the day, And this is final point in the beginning. In Jesus, seek Jesus at the end because it's all for Jesus. Your growth is for him. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Guys, why? There's a lot of thankfulness in this 17 verses. A lot of thankfulness. He literally, one verse said, and be thankful, period. Why is there so much thankfulness? Why is there so much thankfulness? There's a lot of thankfulness because, not because you did a bunch of stuff and you got what you were rewarded. There's a lot of thankfulness because God did some things that we couldn't do. That's why we're thankful. That's why we do everything for Jesus. Friends, you're going to leave this room right now and you're going to be prone to forget this, like I usually am prone to forget when I listen to other guys talk. 
and your, your mind's going to wander. You're not going to have that Christian mindset. The putting off is going to become discouraging. The putting on is going to become fake and forced. You're going to think that you're the only one when really it's everybody. And the main reason is you're going to get caught up in thinking that you have to do it all. Let me set you free. Jesus did it all. Your salvation is in his hands. Your sanctification is also in his hands. So worship team's going to come up, and we're going to sing to this God. And I hope there's a little bit of thankfulness in your heart towards him. But my prayer for us as a church and the church of Cody, the church of America, the church of this world, Jesus' church, not Greg's church, my prayer is that we would stop believing in the pagan gods of I have to do so that I could be rewarded. We'll start resting and letting God do what he does. And then all of your working, all of your attending, all of your singing, all your Bible studies, all your scripture memory, all your praying, all of your meditating, all your fasting, all your Sabbathing, all of those things, you'll begin to see, oh, I'm just getting myself ready for the king who rules in this heart of mine. Okay? I want you to stand with me. I want you to do something This is challenged by choice. You don't have to listen to me. For some reason, you chose to listen to me all morning. But I want you guys to just close your eyes and open up your hands in front of you like this. It's just a symbol of like, I am going to let go. And whatever God wants to take, he can take. Whatever he wants to put in, he can put in. Okay? There's nothing that can, this is just posturing your body in a way that helps your spirit. Let's just close our eyes and pray. And I want you where you're at, just take a moment with your open hands. And I want you to think about those things that you want God's help to put off. Just take a moment. Just say them in your mind. What are those things you want to take off? What are those things you're planning to take to the grave that Satan has been pointing at, saying, if people knew this, they wouldn't love you? Just say it right now in your brain. Say it in your heart. Now, with hands out in front of you, I want you to think that everyone around you has hands out, and they've got things, they've got things that they're trying to put off that are in their hands, just like you do. And I want you to think, how many of those things that are in your hands did Jesus die for? I want you to think, is is there anything that's, Jesus cannot save you from, cannot heal you from. Just confess and ask for forgiveness. Now, I just want you to take some time, church, and I want you to ask God to help you have his love. Just keep your hands open. Jesus, you are seated at the right hand of the Father. What you did on the cross, you said, was finished. And when you raised in the grave and showed Thomas the nails in your hands, the holes that were there, you showed that doubter that he has nothing to doubt, that you are here to forgive and to save, to reconcile and to bring us back into right relationship with Father. And I see you at the right hand of God. There's nothing that we need to be afraid of, nothing that we need to be discouraged by. 
Jesus, give us this mindset. There's a lot of people in this room who are exhausted from trying to be a perfect woman or a perfect man. I pray, God, that you would put your hands on their shoulders and I pray that you would just tell them to let you do it. That they would trust and they would rest in you. They find forgiveness for their souls, forgiveness for their sins. And Jesus, I pray, the watchman watches the walls in vain and the builder builds the house in vain if God is not present. So we pray for our shepherds in this body who are watchmen, help them to watch this body, to watch the church, but do it, Lord, among us. Be with us, watch with us. This room is filled with believers who are called to build the church with you in partnership with you. And I pray, Jesus, you would build with us. Outpost Community Church will not be praised in heaven. We will sing songs to one name, and that's your name, Jesus. So right now, God, we want to begin what heaven is going to be a continual, amazing experience of, by worshiping you and praising you, because this is for you. Jesus, it's in your name we, as your church, pray. Amen.